Welcome to the great conversation where ideas matter, ideas shape markets, ideas can change the world. I've been uh, following for quite some time the great debate over workplace violence, violence in our cities. Anyone who's been following the Chicago disaster knows what a, a tremendous upheaval that's been. And I've also um, had conversations with many of you um, regarding uh, the tragedy of the misuse of firearms. And so it's, no, it's not a subject we're unfamiliar with. Uh, we also have been talking about smart cities. We've been talking about smart buildings. We've been talking about smart everything in this sensor-driven world. In fact, uh, one of the most recent conversations was access control is at the perimeter and perimeters wherever you have access. So it, access itself is becoming different than just a door. And today we're gonna be exploring that concept. We're gonna be exploring the concept around access, about smart and about this sensor driven world in regards to firearms. And I wanna to introduce to you two people today in the great conversation. One is the um, co-founder and CEO of a company called Truefire. We're gonna get into what that is in a second. His name's Justin Gant. Gaunt, sorry, Justin, nice having you on. Yeah. Thanks for having me. We, we, yeah, let's all turn our audio on. And, We're on. Uh, and and, and uh, Eric Larson, uh, business development operations co-founder of Truefire. Now, Eric, great having you on. And so everyone knows, Eric pulled me in. Okay, so oh, yeah. on LinkedIn, <laughs> my fault. My LinkedIn, fault. Yeah. it's all his fault. He's <laughs> the one that got True Fire in, in front of me. And uh, I think we're going to have a great conversation. Let's, let's start off with this. Justin, let's start off with the big why. What pulled you into this? So what pulled us into this is, uh, if you remember years ago, there was the Marysville Pilchuck shooting. And that was where a a son of a, of a person, they, they came and they took their father's rifle and they, they went to school and they committed a crime. And we looked at it and we said, well, why didn't the father know about this? You know, he was at work. Is there anything that could have been done to prevent this? Right. Maybe he was notified that his weapon was taken. Maybe his kid knew the combination to his safe, etc. How could we prevent this? And we said, you know, there's a lot of this happening nowadays. There's got to be a way to, to curtail this in some method, right, to prevent the accidental shootings and accidental discharges or the malicious intent. And we sort of looked at the statistics on, you know, how many firearms gets taken and stolen from law enforcement vehicles that are left parked outside their residences or when they get into a foot pursuit. We talked to some of our law enforcement friends and they said, oh, yeah, you know, when we when we get into a foot pursuit, the, the vehicle door is wide open and the car's running and all you got to do is hit the auxiliary button and you have access to that rifle um yeah. or shotgun and so we started looking at it and we said you know i can unlock my phone numerous ways with my face and my you know biometric signature code etc i said why well, haven't anything changed in weapons and when we looked at it the last major innovation in small arms was when glock released the polymer weapon 40 years ago so we figured this if we had this tool set why don't we look at it and see if it's something we can accomplish well that's that's fascinating and just so everyone knows in the community uh, Justin and Eric are not foreigners to starting up companies. And one of you have like four or five different companies who started up in the last five years. And one of them was an access control company. 
Exactly. So we brought access control to the firearm and armory. Right. So, you know, I mean, in uh, Justin here, I mean, to his credit, he is a serial problem solver. Right. Um, and we as integrators in the space, in the technology space, you know, we find problems and then we come up with solutions and then we bring it to fruition here. And so what well, I think I spoke to this before, but I'll speak to it again, is that there's been tons and tons of companies that are trying to get into the space in smart gun. Right. And they've created a roadmap of, of their failures, which is basically for us, a roadmap for us to overcome all the obstacles that all the other companies have tried to bring this to fruition and have failed. I mean, you know, they had early iterations were made out of steel and you can manipulate it with magnets or you have like a single user interface. Right. Or, or you have single points of failure between you and being able to pull that trigger. Right. And so we found a way to hold 100,000 IDs. It has an armory software that has multiple tiers. It has two biometric scanners. It has triple redundancy in it. You know, what I mean, so if we're going to stand between a law enforcement or any any person who is an authorized user of that weapon and his ability to use that weapon, we, it damn better work, right? And so we've taken a lot of time to make sure the tech works, right? And then, so. Well, and, and this is what's so fascinating. Um, so in the 20 years I've been involved with uh, security professionals, yeah. we, um, you know, one of the things I've been pressing on the whole time is this idea of business velocity to outcomes business velocity outcomes. So in my world, in statistical process control, that means as real time as we can get with a high degree of quality at the end, right? So outcomes that matter with high degree of quality. So if you think about all the different business processes inside a company, including those in the security department, uh, real time is necessary, especially when you're de dealing with situational awareness, Mm -hmm. and actionable response, right? So the first thing when you said trying to solve that problem where you're not permitting access real time, but you're also not impeding real time actionability on that weapon that may be needed in a time yeah. of crisis. And solving those two problems is an identity problem <laughs> as well, at, right? As well yeah. as real time actionable situational awareness and actual response problems. So, so why did you think you could do that without totally <laughs> screwing up the gun, the firearm itself? I mean, if you think about it, I can think of all different ways I'd be invasive, but you don't want to be invasive. This, this has to no. be an aftermarket plugin, right? Yeah, it is. So we wanted, sorry, Justin, we, we did want to retrofit existing armories instead of making everyone buy a whole new weapon or right. anything that that made sense to us. Right. And so, and we thought we could do it because we had figured out how to overcome all of the failures that everybody else did. Right. And so we did that privately and then we made it work in the lab and then we're like, okay, we're onto something here. And then we went to SHOT Show in Las Vegas in January, 2020, and it resonated across the board. Right. We found just, volunteer after volunteer and law enforcement and, and government that was like we'll field test this yeah thank you for making it so it actually works and we can do it so i mean uh, law enforcement and government they have a split second yes or no decision right we're doing the same thing on the technical side before they even unholster kind of thing you know or we're doing essentially 
we're making that yes or no decision based on your authentication, right? Well, give me, and then, for us geeks in the crowd, give me yeah. what technologies have gone into this. And then what I'm going to ask you after we understand the technologies that go into it without obviously disclosing all your IP, they can read, <laughs> they can read your future patent, I'm sure. But, 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 but what I'd love to hear about is then a gun. Gun owners have a relationship with their arm. Uh, their their guns. Uh, it, yeah. It'd be kind of like, great, I'm going to put this great access control system on my front door. And my wife says, that's the ugliest thing ever. You're not putting that on my door. So I can imagine you not only had to make it accessible, real time, really control identity. That has to be locked down hard, yep. uh, but, it, but aesthetically right. Correct? Oh, yes. absolutely. That was a big feedback we got from, from Chacho is it it has to not be there, right? It has to work. Be there. I mean, so when you're in a holstering or weapon and you're you're beating in on on a target, you can't have it lopsided or unergonomic. You know, it can't be in the way, right? right. So it ha has to be able to function and to not be there. It's the way I put it, I guess. So, so and I'll let so, Justin jump in. Yeah. So since this isn't a video broadcast, tell me where it fits then on the gun. Is it? At, uh, now, by the way, for those, of you, for those of you listening to this, I'm, I'm going to be embedding a link uh, to uh, Eric's um, uh, video where he actually demos this. It's outstanding video. But uh, but tell us where it's placed on the gun. Sure. So I'll let so, Justin do that. Yeah. So on the rifles and shotguns, essentially what we're doing is we're replacing the grip. You're going to swap the grip out, and that's where you're going to put the true fire in. What this does is several different things. One, it does not permanently alter that weapon at all. You can install this in less than 20 minutes, and now you have a smart weapon where only you and your best friends or whoever your next 100 people you want to be able to can fire that weapon. Um, on a pistol version, we're going to interface on the accessory rail in the front, the Picatinny rail. And again, we do not permanently alter that weapon. You can take it on, you can take it off as long as you have the appropriate access to do so, right? Uh, and incorporating it in this way, part of one of the requirements that we identified when we analyzed everyone's efforts for the past 20 years is we said, if someone is going to put this on their weapon, they're not gonna wanna relearn how to unlock their weapon or fire it. Right. They must be able to pick up their weapon like they normally pick it up and pulled, and it must be unlocked by the time they move it from their hip to their eyesight and pull that trigger and it must work. So that was one of the requirements that we did. So when we first started this process, we identified about 40 different core product goals that we must meet in order to have a successful product. And we weren't sure if we were gonna be able to accomplish that or not. Uh, we tried our best. We knew that we had a team of electrical and mechanical engineers and hardware and software developers and everyone has decades of experience. So the first question we asked ourselves was, can we do this? And how are we going to do this to see if it was even possible or feasible to do? And we identified that we were able to do that. So the way it works is as soon as you grab that rifle and you bring it up to your shoulder, you're going to get an LED indicator that only you can see, the shoot, only the operator of that firearm can see, and you're gonna get haptic feedback and it's going to indicate the weapon is unlocked and ready to fire. And it's going to stay unlocked mechanically and power down the electronics the entire time you're holding that firearm, you'll be able to fire that weapon. As soon as you release that firearm, let go of it, it's going to relock mechanically automatically by itself without any of the electronics. So another core reason why this is done is because this allows us to have extremely long battery life of this system. So, 
just so so that people can frame because this is audio only essentially mm -hmm. there's a stainless steel bar that wraps around the back side of the trigger that makes the trigger forward and inert right and then when the grip is grabbed it authenticates and allows you to freely pull the trigger because the stainless steel bar will move through the solenoid. So, uh, and and Justin came up with a brilliant idea too in the process here of the solenoid, how it can actually function even if there's a failure on the bio, biometric. Yeah, uh, yeah, and as soon as they grab that firearm, it's gonna look to authenticate in one of three different ways to unlock. You have your biometric, either ambidextrous, left hand or right hand. You also have smart fob where you can actually ring a wear a silicone ring and it's going to have your smart credential on it. We could do two-factor authentication if someone wants to be extremely secure, but it's not necessarily needed. Uh, and then we also have a backup mechanical key. So if you fail to charge this weapon or you know adhere to that, you know, and it's three and a half years down the road and you take it out of your gun safe and it's not charged up, you could pop that mechanical key in and it's going to stay retained and you can unlock that weapon and fire it without any of that. Uh, and I'll give you a prime example of you know, a conversation that we had at SHOT Show uh, with, I'm not going to say who they were, but they were on the executive team of a very large weapons manufacturer who came up to us and was trying to poke holes in everything that we were doing. And they said, well, what happens if I'm, wear, if I, if I'm wearing gloves that day, right? And I say, well, then you have your, your, uh, bi your biometric ring, right? And he goes, what happens if I, if I don't have my ring? And I said, well, then you have your backup key to get in to access the firearm. And he goes, what happens if I don't have that? And I said, well, let me ask you a question. Where are your guns right now? And he goes, they're in my safe. I said, how many ways can you get into your gun safe? And I said, two, right? You either have a code or a biometric and a backup key, right? I said, I've now given you three ways to unlock your firearm. I've made it more readily accessible because now you can hang it on your wall in your family room, right? Leave so it on the coffee table. Leave it on the coffee table. It'll comply with the laws like we have in Washington State now that require you to have that thing locked up. Right. So now someone kicks in your door and you need to defend yourself. You grab it off the wall and you're ready to go. I said, you don't have to run across your room, across your house. And now, the, now you're, you know, let's go back to the scenario where you have a failure because of battery and mm -hmm. it's on your wall. Is the default position then locked? Yeah. So default it, position it has, is secure. Correct. It is. And it, so it, 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 it mounts into a docking station that charges it. So I don't know about you, but every night when I go to bed, I plug in my phone. Right. So it's at 100% right. when I get in the morning. And the same thing would be kind of SOP for anybody in use of this weapon. And I'll go back to the SHOT Show reference. I constantly, the big hotness down at the SHOT Show was everybody had these little remote controls so that they could trigger their gun safe. So as they run to it, right, <laughs> that it opened up for them. And I said, you, you know, screw that. Just put it on your nightstand. And somebody comes in your bedroom door to pick it up and boom. Right. So the uh, next question I have, um, so now I'm going from the personal to the group. Um, are you envisioning a day where you can provide some kind of macro access control to multiple firearms and people? Yes, and, and this has been a very hot topic issue in the gun, in the firearms community. Uh, one, there are going to be two versions of this, uh, of the true fire. There will be the tactical version for law enforcement military and the standard version. The standard version has an optional dock, which will charge it and can also send push notifications when it gets de-docked and its battery quality and percent level. So if you have it sitting in your gun safe and someone breaks into your house and jams your Simply Safe security system with a $20 uh, wireless jammer from Amazon, you'll still get to know that 30, if someone got 30, 30 I'm sorry, <laughs> you'll still know that your weapon was moved and migrated from there. 
Then you have the tactical version. We're the only ones who've done this. We looked at it and we said, well, you know, this was another thing we identified. Law enforcement, you know, the New York City police have almost 40,000 law enforcement members, right? How do you manage all of their credentials across their weapons? You're not going to manage each individual weapon. So we created the tactical version, which has a secure enrollment station, secure dock, and secure management portfolio. And with that, we have one-way communication with the firearms. So for instance, there's no two-way communication where we can disable it or communicate to it, but it will send out notifications. So if an officer actually fires his weapon, right, it's gonna send out and say, my weapon was fired here and there. We don't track temperature, humidity. We don't track how many times it was used. We don't track where was anything of that nature, right? But it's gonna send out that alert and say, that way if he gets shot and he can't radio for help, he knows about it. Everyone knows about it and says, Officer Smith right here fired his weapon at this location um, and there was a disturbance. The other thing is, is the armories will be able to, you know, define and say, I want to know if uh, Officer Smith loses his weapon, meaning it doesn't get docked every 72 hours. If it exceeds 72 hours or whatever they define it is, this is another thing we found. A lot of firearms go missing and go unreported because no one wants to get in trouble and who could blame them. Right. There was an incident in California, I believe, the uh, the dock shooting of that lady. Right. The firearm went missing out of the vehicle, never went reported. And then she got killed on a dock. Right. Yeah, and with I, this. Right. I'll go on this, record and say I'm against the wireless communication of well, this device. You know, what I mean, just watch Hobbs and Shaw. Right. You'll see. Yeah. Well, it's it's one way communication. It's not two way communication. There is no way to communicate, deactivate or talk to it period. And it's only for the tactical versions is, is the reasoning for that beyond that. And the great thing with the dot with the tactical version is we have the ability to define those databases. And what we've done is we've defined it as a, a three-tier system. You know, your most, the officer and his partner are going to be the most common operators of that rifle or shotgun in the patrol cruiser. They're going to be able to unlock that set weapon almost instantaneously. Then your next tier is going to be the entire police precinct, right? And then after that, it's going to be the entire agency. So for instance, in the Washington State Patrol here, you can have the local officers will be in tier A, and then you have the precinct will be in tier B, and then anyone who's in the state agency can operate that weapon, period. So you can have up to 100,000 credentials on this firearm, and it's going to unlock and be controlled. And is um, if you had a situation, I think I know the answer already. So the situation is no one can fire that arm except that particular officer. So if another officer picked up that firearm, to shoot it. And I don't know under what situation that would ever occur. He's not going to be able to use it either. No, no, they, they no, will that's be able not true. to do it. So if they're in the correct agency, so let's say that the Washington State Patrol out, outfits their entire agency with the True Fire, right, on all of their AR-15s or their shotguns, right? Anyone who's in the Washington State Patrol will be able to pick up any Washington State Patrol firearm and operate that weapon. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Yep. If you remember, each grip holds 100,000 IDs. So if you want okay. everybody in the California... Yeah, that, so, so it's really local at the sensor where the storage of the identities yeah. occurs. Yeah, correct. It does not need any outbound connection to verify identity whatsoever. And that's pro that's also what makes it so quick. I could any, take, take 40,000 firearms, theoretically, and I mm -hmm. could load those identities in from one central server? Correct. Yeah, the armory would be basically setting out the... The permissions right and so we we didn't want single user you know i mean authentication we wanted anybody on the good guys team gets to operate this anybody who's not does not that was the goal and, you know, and i'm 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 assuming and you know what happens when you assume i'm yes. just, i'm assuming law enforcement has good identity management of their own mm -hmm. uh 
<laughs> right. They know right. how to fingerprint. So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> okay. So, so with, with that said, so fortunately, we define what's required in order to enroll and, and remove. And part of that is two factor authentication. And whenever you're adding or removing credentials, we have a requirement that it's not one person controlling the management of an officer's weapon. Right. It has to be two people, kind of like the, you know, firing the nuclear bombs, <laughs> right? Because we're, we're, you're talking about people's lives here. And you don't want someone to have an error and say, okay, Smith is terminated. We need to terminate Smith and, and Smith B is terminated accidentally. And he goes to use his weapon for the first time and, and he has an issue. You so you also can do multiple enrollment in a small group, like a family. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So on the, on the standard version, it's, it's very simple. It, you don't need any enrollment station. You don't need any management, nothing in the cloud. It's all localized right on the true fire itself. Wow. And, uh, and, and again, back to uh, the law enforcement agency then, uh, are, are they doing that from a server? So they're doing it actually from a secure tablet. So there's a, an enrollment station that connects to the secure tablet. And then the tablet creates a secure IPsec tunnel all the way back to our cloud services. So, it's, uh, so and are, is your, are your cloud services on one of the major platform players or is it? Uh, correct. Uh, yeah. What is that, Azure or what is it? AWS. It's AWS. Yeah. You see, I tried to take care of your local company there. Too. Yeah. Well, yeah. they're both local, Amazon and Microsoft. So, you know, I mean, yep. a little on both, you know what I mean? But, okay. Yeah. So, there, so there's redundancy there in the, in the cloud as well. And then you have the secure docs, which will be sit inside the police cruisers or the armories. No information is secure is stored on those docs, period. They just establish secure, authenticated communication between the true fire weapon as well as the cloud. Once a weapon is docked, it'll do a handshake and it'll verify two-factor and then it'll allow secure communications back. So even if someone was to steal a dock or get a dock, there is no way they're going to get any information out of that system whatsoever. Do you plan on getting some kind of independent cyber authority to bless the way you protected the identities on these arms? Yes, exactly. That is a requirement. So, and this brings up a very important, one of the important requirements that we have for this. Um, we look at this as kind of like Tesla's self-driving car, right? If, if that car drives 60 miles per hour into a brick wall and the occupants die, no one is going to trust that self-driving car again. And it's the same thing with smart weapon technology. If this weapon fails one time to unlock, right? All the, confidence, all the confidence is gone. So we are very cautious and careful about how this is released, how the product is deployed, and we will not release anything that will fail at one time. Well, the, it's interesting you, you brought Amazon up too. I remember uh, talking to some guys in the early days of Amazon. And again, I don't have any way of validating the story, but Bezos basically saying to the team, if one shopper loses his identity, we screw this whole thing up. So, mm, <laughs> so the whole yeah. idea of locking down, you know, the cybersecurity on these things it was incredibly important. Well, this is, uh, I, I'm sorry, Eric, you were going to say something. Well, no, I, 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 you can edit this out in post if you don't want to, and if I don't have permission to it, but we are crowdfunding this endeavor to bring this to life. So in a, yeah, what, what, can you read my mind over the internet? <laughs> yeah. I was just well, going to bring that up. So uh, very interesting. You know, one of the things I said to Eric before we got on the line is the community has kind of asked me to start playing Shark Tank with early adopted uh, technology. And, uh, and this isn't uh, a Shark Tank-like episode at all. I'd be asking much different questions. Uh, but we may do that one day, but let, let's have some fun with this. Um, one, why crowdsourcing? 
why not, if this is such a big idea, because it, it seems to me it has great market share potential here, you know, it, it, uh, and, and once you knock down some head pins in your bowling pins, it, this could go very quickly, very fast. So why crowdsource? Why wouldn't you go after venture capital or private equity or something like that? So the biggest reason for that is uh, venture capitalists and private equity, right? They, they like to play very safe. Right. And if you look at the history of startups, less than 9% of startups actually get their funding from venture capitalists or private equity. Right. The majority of them are bootstrapped, friends and family, business loans, and whatnot. To date, for the past five years, we have self funded this um, hundreds of thousands of dollars and brought it to a point where it is 95% complete. Um, one thing that we recognized when we were kind of testing the waters with venture capitalists on this is we identified a Series A, uh, several Series A investors that were willing to put in a significant amount of money, uh, but they want to see someone else become the, you know, be the first nibble, right? Uh, on the other hand, when we went to SHOT Show and when we showed this around, we had everyone saying, I want a piece of the pie. And many of these people are not accredited investors. Fortunately, in Washington state, we live in one of the, one, one of the states that allows for crowdsourced uh, funding of investments. And we another and one of the core reasons we think this is a good money is because the weapons industry and how the weapons industry has looked at this. Um, you know, they do what they want to do. It's kind of like every other major multi-billion dollar organization, right? They're slow to act, they're slow to change until someone comes in, shakes them up and like Uber, right? Taxis didn't change for decades. Then Uber came along. And it's the same thing. We're doing this way is we're allowing the people to get a piece of the pie, right? We firmly believe that this company will turn into a billion dollar organization. We've secured the IP. We believe we've created the world. Yeah. We've, we've created the only method to take any, most any, almost any existing firearm and turn it into a smart weapon. And we think that we should allow people. You know, to get a piece of the pie and invest in it and speak their minds. So how much are you intending to raise through crowdsourcing? What are you going to do with it? Ideally, we're going to raise about 600000 to a million dollars. What this is going to do is this is going to take care of the third-party NRTL testing. This is going to wrap up some of the final refinements and pilots of the product. So that way we have a confident working product that people can stand behind and get behind. And then a considerable amount of that is going to go towards the effort of actual sales and marketing and inventory and getting this out in the hands of law enforcement agencies and getting them to buy it, trial it, and test it and deploy it in their own organizations. And you're, uh, and you're hoping to announce the beta product in January of next year at the gun show? Correct. We have a really cool product coming out in, in January for SHOT Show that a lot of people were inquiring about, and they're going to be really excited to see. Where is SHOT Show usually held? Las Vegas. Las Vegas, baby. Yeah, Sands Expo. Is there a date for it already? I think it's the 18th of January to the 22nd. <laughs> I okay. think I, I haven't looked well, at it. Well, that's all right. We'll pin that down and we'll put it in the uh, body too. Um, first of all, this has been a great conversation uh, with two uh, serial entrepreneurs <laughs> who I think are tapping into something that's going to resonate uh, with so many people in these kind of times we're in. Uh, yeah. Couldn't be, probably couldn't be better timing uh, than to have something like this from an identity management. Uh, to not only protect your loved ones, but to uh, also protect our law enforcement officers as well. So congratulations, gentlemen. Uh, we will do this. We will come back to you before that gun show where you can uh, tell me how much money you actually raised and uh, whether you are going to be at that show with that beta test site 
and uh, what you expect next. How's that sound? We'll put it on the calendar. Sounds, Sounds awesome. great. Sounds great. Thank you, gentlemen. This has been a great conversation.